It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This is the Hockey News Podcast. Welcome to the Hockey News Podcast, presented by BetMGM and McKenney. I'm Mike Stevens, sitting across from me is Ryan Kennedy. Ryan, how you doing? Doing great. How's it going? Not too bad. You know, I can't complain. We're at a higher desk now. Yeah. Uh, this is the tallest I've ever been, um, and I feel really great. No, never a better time to talk about hockey. Indeed. And on a blustery Tuesday morning yes. uh, in Toronto. Let's, let's dive right into it and talk about a team that I don't think is getting enough real credit right now through the first little bit of the season. It's New York Islanders. I mean, they're, they're coming on. They're expected to take a bit of a step back. Barry Trotz is gone. No one really knew what the Lane Lambert sort of era was going to be. And yet here they are, right behind the Devils, who are the hottest team in the league. They're 11-6. and six. They've got some really good underlying numbers. Players are, are, are sort of chipping in. It's like that old, that old Islanders, you know, the sum of our parts kind of team mm-hmm. again. They're fantastic. They are. And, you know, it's interesting because Lane Lambert uh, it was obviously in the organization – organization already so there was familiarity there uh, but he does take on a new role as head coach but you know Lane Lambert has been on the cusp of being a head coach oh, yeah. for like a decade at this point mm-hmm. you know we, we knew there was potential there so the transition uh, has gone fairly smooth already um, I think that they're getting uh, obviously a lot more offense than we're used to mm-hmm. uh, they're actually outscoring the New York Rangers right now and you think about the firepower that the Rangers have, yeah. um, but Brock Nelson uh, leading them in scoring. Uh, and what's interesting is that last year he had like a wild shooting percentage. Yes. Obviously he had a fantastic year from a, a goal scoring perspective, um, but he's getting, you know, he, he's having his best season yet so far. And his shooting percentage uh, is basically his, his average. You mm-hmm. know, he shoot, he's usually about 15%. Uh, for his career, at least in recent years, other than last year, uh, and he's still producing, so that's a great sign. Matt Barzell's playing well. Anders Lee, Noah Dobson, obviously continuing to yeah. ascend as that uh, you know top pairing. Uh, I'll call him a two-way defenseman, uh, but he brings so much offense. Yes. He is very well-rounded, and the, you know he has that, that great mobility and size. So you know it's it's coming together, and I, I think. You know, it's, it's not like they're playing loose hockey, so they're not completely away no, from the Islanders not. we knew. But the goal scoring's coming a little uh, more to the forefront, and, and they're getting results. Well, one thing, you talk about the goal scoring, the one person it hasn't come to yet is Matt Barzell. Mm-hmm. Because That's he, right. He has, and, and this is just a credit to him, yeah. you know, as a hockey player, 17, 17 games, 18 points, zero of them are goals. He's got yeah. 18 assists. Um, so you're going to think that that might change a little bit eventually you're gonna you're gonna hope so at least um <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm not a mathematician here but i gotta say that you know the, you, you think the percentage wise it's gonna regress back to the mean there yeah. and you know once once barzal i mean he's already over a point per game once he once the goals start coming for him look out man it's matt barzal exactly. on, on a shooting on a shooting percentage heater yeah come on he's uh, yeah right now he's like the reverse cy young exactly like yeah. i'm trying to think of like who's like the worst baseball pitcher is but 
Yusei Kikuchi, maybe? Or maybe, but something it, like that. You know, it's funny. In MLB The Show, he's like one of oh, the aces. Oh, he's great. Yeah, that's yeah. the thing. Yeah. It's crazy. I could, go on for, I could go on for days right. with MLB The Show. Yeah. But no, it's look, the and, and one thing as well is Ilya Sorokin. You know, thank you mm-hmm. to my fan, my fantasy team. Thanks you, Ilya. Um, but also, like, he's been fantastic. He's yeah. taken the reins. And Varlamov struggled a little bit, but, like, they have their franchise goalie right now. They certainly do. He's older than you'd think, though. He's 27. Like, it's he's, true, because he spent yeah. so much time in Russia. But the, the upshot of that was he got so much experience, not yeah. only in the KHL, but on the international stage mm-hmm. as well. And, <clears throat> you know, he's always been a little overshadowed by Igor Shosturkin because yes. they basically were coming up at the same time. Um, you know, sometimes they even partnered internationally. Um, but, you know, you look at what Sorokin did last year and, you know, you, you talk to folks around the league and, you know, it's like sort of saying, like, coming into this year, the three best goalies in the league might have all been Russian, with yeah. Vasilevsky being the other one. So, you know, not a surprise that Sorokin's playing so well, but certainly a boon to the Islanders that he's living up to the hype once again. Absolutely. They got to get on a, they got to get on that contract, though. I mean, he's only got one year left after this one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you got to sort of parse through whether or not, you know, you want to give a, a big contract to a guy who's approaching 30 or might be on the other end of it. Mm-hmm. But look, man, the Islanders, like this, like we said, this was a team that, you know, we thought was going to take a step back. They signed Matt, Matt Barzell to a contract that I personally thought was a bit steep at the time. Um, and, even, and, and it's funny to think that he has zero goals through his, nearly his first 20 games, and I, I think he's lived up to his contract. Like, yeah. That, that's, that goes he's to show. He's still one of their top scorers. Exactly. <laughs> um, he's literally like one point behind their, their team lead, and he has yeah. zero goals. It's yeah. incredible. Like it's this is this just goes to show like they really do have something special in 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 that locker room at least to, to keep them together. And you know what too, it, I, I know there's been criticism in the past of them not doing enough uh, in terms of moves, but there's something to say for having that whole crew yeah. together for so long. When you think about Brock Nelson and Anders Lee and Josh Bailey and Matt Barzell has now been there for you know uh, a quite long a while as well, like four or five years exactly. And then uh, you know. I mean, Dobson's one of the newer players, mm-hmm. but of course he came up through their system. Um, so there's a lot of familiarity there. And it's like, you know, if it works, it works. It works, it works. All right. Moving on to a team that, look, this is one of the, the silver linings in a season that has been nothing but a disaster uh, for the Vancouver Canucks. At least, you know, we, we've, their coach is on the hot seat every night. The teammates are fighting with each other on the ice. Jerseys are getting thrown. It's just not a good sort of, uh, it's not, the vibes are very much off in yes. Vancouver, yeah. but the one guy who is thriving amidst the chaos. Well, he's not the only guy, but he there's one person who is thriving amidst the chaos. Mm. It's Bo Horvat, the captain. Yeah. Uh, you know, he's he's got 13 goals since for 16 games. Uh, he's doing it by getting into like the really difficult areas of the ice. Um, he scored on Saturday against uh, against the Leafs by you know essentially just muscling his way into the slot, tipping it home. Uh, so this is not a guy who's just sort of like lo- lofting them in on the outside and getting you know. Thanks of good luck. Yep. The only problem is that he's a free agent coming mm-hmm. up. Um, and uh, after, the, after the deal with, uh, with JT Miller, uh, the Canucks, as we said at the start of the season, have zero dollars in cap space, uh, and they're one of the worst teams in the league. Can they afford Bo, Bo Horvat? And at the end of the day, like, what does what is, what is an extension or a potential next contract even look like for him? All right, so... You have a hot take. You were talking I, about I believe this. this to be spicy. Okay. Maybe I'm wrong because I'm not really a hot take guy. You've kept it a secret, so I'm, I'm waiting to hear. I think the Bo Horvat contract, whether it's with Vancouver or another <laughs> team, and you know, obviously cap considerations, I think it's going to be John Tavares-esque. Wow. Yes. Like $11 million? I'm going to say 10.5. 
You look at the points he's putting up this year. Let's say that he continues his pace as more than a point-per-game player. To be fair, he's shooting 23%. So yes. that's going to go down a bit. Yes. It might. I that's mean, true. Right. I mean, you know, math not my strong Well, it might, it might go down like next season, which would, be exactly. the worst, which would be the worst time for the team signing him to go down. But not still. for Bo Horvath. Exactly. I'm going to put on my Pat Morris glasses okay, here as right. the agent. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to represent Bo Horvath. Mm-hmm. I'm going to channel Pat Morris and say, look, First PK unit on the Canucks, yeah. top power play yeah. unit, one of the uh, leading ice time guys. Like JT Miller's the only forward that has played more time on ice average per game uh, on the Canucks. And it's it's not a big gulf. No, it's it's uh, Bo Horvat's 2052, yep. JT Miller's 2105. Exactly. It. So it's pretty much a wash there. Yeah. Um, yeah, as you said, 13 goals already. You know, he, he's looking uh, like a monster yeah. uh, in terms of offense. He's the captain. Yep. We know that he plays with a ton of passion, and you know he's got that grit factor mm. to him. You know, Tavares signed his deal a, a few years ago now, obviously. So you have to adjust for inflation. The, the inflation yeah. of the salary cap, which is why I'm, and and they're they're going to be basically the same age. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they're both going to be sort of 28 when they when they sign this deal. So if if I'm if I'm Pat Morris, I'm saying. My boy's worth at least 10, maybe 10.5. And, you know, if you're signing with the Canucks, you want eight years. Yes. If you're on the open market, you can only get seven. Uh, so th- that's what I'm asking for, and I, I believe I can get it. When you, when you look at his production and what he brings to a team all around, uh, you know, Tavares also was a captain yep. when he went to the open market. He was an all-around guy. Uh, he might have had a little more of a track record in terms of offense. Definitely, definitely more. But it wasn't. But again, if Horvat has a monster season this year, then you're saying this is who he is right now. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that, that, that's my take. You know what? That's a really good take. Now, the more that you, the more that you bring that up, like the the more arguments and, and points you get, like the more compelling it is. Because yeah, like Horvat, and and one thing too is that. You know the rumor forever, and, and I think there is a shred of truth to it, is that the um, the the locker room in Vancouver is kind of split between a, like the Bo Horvat leadership group and the JT Miller sort of leadership group, right. and it's difficult. I really like I can't see this guy signing back in Vancouver. Yeah. And if and if he did, it would not be for a hometown discount. Oh, one hundred percent not. Yeah. But the thing is too is that he's he's been the captain. Um, he's never had sort of what we call an off season. Like he's kept going. There's never been any sort of like complaints about his own leadership style. Mm-hmm. It's not, it, this isn't a Blake Wheeler situation where we hear sort of it seeping out. Right. Any any sort of complaints have been, uh, you know, other people and how he's had to sort of massage that situation. Mm-hmm. And look, like the, the Canucks have put their players, specifically their leadership group, through the ringer. Like think yeah. about think about all the the like you know it's your home opener and you have to come out and basically like defend pretty much every organizational figure and even like remember during that. Um, during the, the, the COVID season, the pandemic season, where the Canucks were just absolutely like massacred with, with COVID. And mm-hmm. there was a lot of complaints about the organization not like supporting them enough during that and all that. And Horvat was able to sort of massage that down. I mean, he is, he's like, he's the guy. Now I'm looking at John Tavares's numbers right before he signed. Mm-hmm. And it, like he did have, like Mo Horvat has never had, like John Tavares, you had an 81 point season in, in 82 games, you know, in 2011, you know, yeah. he, he was 47 and 48 during the lockout season. He was 66 and 59 the next season before. He was yep. basically close, either above or close to point per game every single year um, yep. leading up to that, leading up to the deal. And then even in that last, um, 
Even in that last season in New York before he signed in Toronto, 37 goals, 47 assists, 84 points in 82 games. Yeah. If, uh, uh, if Bo Horvat can sort of match that, maybe. But you're right. I think, it's, I think it'll be like, I know it's on the open market. He's a center. He's versatile. He's got all these different things. Mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't go 10.5. Like, if I, like I, I'm sure he'd probably get it, but like maybe 10, 9.75, something. Maybe like a Johnny Goudreau type kind of deal. Mm-hmm. Um, but look, this is, this is a very useful hockey player. I think this is a hockey player who would be, who, who would find even greater success in a situation that's just a little bit, has a little bit more levity. Sure. Because it just, everything just seems heavy in Vancouver right now, right? right? And he's the captain, he's got to shoulder that load. Every time he steps before cameras, he knows he's got to basically fight for his life when it comes to that, I, I think. But look, this is probably the most intriguing free agent that's coming up. Yeah, I think that's fair because he brings so much to the table. And, and it's funny, you know, it's like there was a time, uh, where when we still thought the NHL was going to go to the, the last Olympics, where Bo Horvat looked like he could be on that team. Oh yeah, he looked like he was at least like a fourth line or something on yep. Team Canada on one of the most stacked Team Canada rosters. Yep. Any, any team is gonna want him. And yep. like, I know that it's gonna be so difficult for them to like make it work cap wise, but like, mm-hmm. wouldn't he look so good on like the Colorado Avalanche? Oh, of course. Uh, yeah, but I mean yeah. like, he just, <laughs> no, but he just seems like, like the kind of player, like that, that that team would just like use so effectively. Yeah. You know, it, it's it'll be great. I mean, yeah. I think he's I think he's set himself up for quite the payday, and he's earned it, man. He's had to deal with a lot placed on his shoulders. I think he and he's continued to play like as they say the right way. Indeed. Good for him. Um, speaking of the Olympics, by the way, mm-hmm. uh, the best on best tournaments have not been something that we've been able to enjoy as, as hockey observers, as Indeed. you say. Um, now the uh, it came over on the on the weekend or I think on Friday it was announced that the NHLPA has uh, has has postponed the or the NHL and NHLPA in a joint statement yeah. has postponed the 2024 World Cup of Hockey. You know the best on best, the one that was supported by them in lieu of the Olympics uh, due to our, our recent climate. Which I mean we all know what that means. <laughs> Russia. It's Russia. Um, <laughs> and so yeah, we're, we'll we'll keep that. Like everyone kind of knows that yeah. they're hoping. Hey, maybe Russia will chill out a little bit by 2025. Mm. We'll have to see. You never know. Uh, uh, predicting, you know, sort of global politics and whatnot is is a fool's errand, if you will, at least in, in my experience. So, it's it's this is just another giant shame because Canada's best players are aging even more. Like mm-hmm. uh, it, someone pointed out on Twitter, and this is the thing that I like to keep bringing up is that Nathan McKinnon, you know, one of the best players in the league, one of the best homegrown Canadian sort of products in the modern era, he will not have played in a best on best tournament representing his country. Uh-huh. If, if, let's say, that the World Cup of Hockey goes in 2025, let's say that's the best case scenario, it all works out. Yeah. He will not have played in a best-on-best tournament until year 12 in the NHL. That's, that's unacceptable. Yeah. Carl McDavis never played in the Olympics. Yeah. The one, time he, the one time he's worn a Team Canada jersey after the World Juniors mm. is uh, uh, the World Championship. Yeah. That's, that's, that's ridiculous. Yeah, and then you think about on the American side, you know, guys like Austin Matthews Jack and Eichel. Jack Eichel. You know, I know they want to play at least one best oh, on best yeah. with Patrick Kane. Yeah, and you know that generation uh, from before them. Uh, so, I mean, it's tough, and it is one of those things where you know everything is so interconnected in hockey and. You know, at the double IHF level, it's it's pretty easy for mm-hmm. for them to say, well, look, like you know, we can't have Russia yes. competing right now, of course, um, because it's national federations. But then when you get to NHL slash NHLPA, it's like, 
the Russians are on the same club teams as the Canadians, the Americans, mm-hmm. the Swedes, the Finns. Like they, they're all interconnected. And, it, it, you know, it's like it, there's not much to say at this point other than it's, it's really too bad. And, I, you know, I mean, for me, I would say hold it without Russia. Um, but then it's not best on best. And you're right. It's not best on best. Yeah. Um, but, you know, with the, with the previous World Cup where you had Team North America and Team Europe, you know, I know initially the you know, the Swiss, the Slovaks, um, you know, they weren't happy that they couldn't represent their own country. Mm. Now they made that great run to the final yeah, they and did. they came together as a team. So that was very nice for them. But, you know, we, I mean, we've seen it before, at least maybe mm. not with a hockey superpower like Russia, but concessions have been made before. Mm-hmm. Obviously, everybody involved decided we'd prefer to wait and hopefully we can do it the right way. But you're right. It's it's really too bad because we're all fiending to see McDavid, Matthews, you know, all you know, McKinnon, as you mentioned, all these young players. I, I mean, hey, Shesterkin and Sorokin, for that matter, uh, and Vasilevsky, like, right? Um, you know, those are all matchups we want to see. And thanks, Putin. Uh, <laughs> we don't get it. Uh, so you know, you just you just hope that you know, we get we get peace in Ukraine, and then. From there, we can start making hockey mm-hmm. decisions. What what really what's really disappointing to me is that the era, like the era that's before the Matthews and McDavid and mm-hmm. and all that, like they got their their moments. Like yeah. the goal, like the the twenty ten Olympics in, in Vancouver is an iconic event. Like it, everyone still met, met, references it now. Yeah. Like we still have you know every time the golden goal gets scored, the the anniversary uh, we talk about it. There's infographics all over Instagram and stuff like that. Um, but like that, like this, and and the Ovechkins, the you know uh, Sidney Crosby, all the American players, like like Patrick Kane, all that, like they got their their sort of defining cool moments that will go down in hockey history. And yeah. I think that that like legacy is extremely important to this new generation of hockey fans, or mm-hmm. not hockey fans, but hockey players. Yeah. Like Matthews cares about his legacy so much. We were there, uh, it, you know, in Tampa when he when he was doing his media availability for the Heart, and he kind of looked nonplussed about it. He's like, yeah, it's cool, it's it's great to have an MVP. I like I want my legacy to be a champion, you know. Right. And and I think everyone kind of focuses on that, and they haven't had that opportunity to do it. And like the clock is ticking, like you know, it, if it gets pushed back past twenty twenty five, like these guys will be approaching their thirties. Like yeah. at, at that point, you know, will they will they still be in their primes? Will Patrick Kane still be playing so they are able to play with him? Like they like can you imagine? Like we we got the the Canada versus USA gold medal game, incredible stuff. Imagine what it would be like to have a McDavid led Canada and a Matthews led. Uh, USA going at each other, you know, yeah. some great goalies on tap there. Like, you know, it's it's like after now that now that it's going to get pushed back, like there's almost zero chance that Marc Andre Fleury is going to be on the team now. True. And so he's never got a chance to start at an Olympics or a best on best at this point. Like, it, it's just like there, we you wanted to get that one last shot for mm. for the for the last generation and also have this new generation in their primes, the height of their powers, be able to be the, those headline players. And now that that looks like it might be over. Yeah. And it's just such a shame. Like, they were already rushing to get this done by 2024. You can't predict global events, but I just, like, people, this was kind of swept under the rug, this story. Like, it didn't get a ton of traction, but this sucks. Like, it really does. Yeah. I really wanted to see this. Um, It's a shame. But things that are not a shame. Uh, The New Jersey Devils, they're still the hottest team in the league. I believe they're still winning. I think they're still on a nine in a row uh, win streak here. Not a heater. Incredible. Their fans put together what was one of the funniest, I think, moments of the season and, mo- and, and one of the funniest sort of fan uh, reactions in recent memory because 
They, they, and I, at the time, it wasn't necessarily oddly that they did it, but they mm. booed fire, uh, uh, Lindy Ruff and chanted fire Lindy yeah. in their home opener. Yeah. You know, and, and Lindy Ruff looked surprised by it on the bench. He was like, what, really, me? Like, all right. And then after the nine games in a row, after they look like the hottest team in the league, after everything is just gelling so well in New Jersey, they look like they're set up for the present and the future, the fans get together and go, sorry, Lindy. Yes. Incredible. And yeah. Lindy Ruff, after the game, in his post-game preference, said, you know what? I, I accept the apology. And uh, maybe one time us and the 17,000 other people can all, <clears throat> excuse me, can all get together and have a beer together, yeah. which I think is lovely. It also brought to mind as well, like, who is, who's another coach who deserves a sorry blank chant? You know, someone who's yeah. been maligned pretty heavily this year and now has proven like, okay, I, we, I deserve an apology. All right. I'm going to give a personal okay. apology. Dave Haxtell in Seattle. Yep. I think the we... Kraken are a wagon. Can I, can I piggyback on this apology? You can certainly piggyback on that because, yeah, I mean, early on, it looked like the Kraken, um, you know, they weren't having success on the ice. And, you know, I, I still don't like that Shane Wright's not a regular I on the team. I don't either, yep. But when you're winning, it's hard to, mm-hmm. you know, it's hard to find fault there. But, I mean, they have a better record than the Oilers and the Flames. They sure do. How many people saw that coming in the offseason? And, you know, I mean, they're more talented than they were last year. But, again, you know, I mean, they don't have a traditionally strong lineup, but they're making it work. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of funny because Dave Haxtell and his coaching career, if you go back to when he was at the University of North Dakota, Mm -hmm. traditionally his squads would start a little slow and then they would catch fire in the second half. Really? Okay. Yeah. And we saw that a little bit in the NHL with Philadelphia as well. Um, clearly he has uh, sorted out that uh, where, I mean, you know, I mean the first couple of weeks were, were dicey, but now, I mean, it's, we're not that far into the season and Seattle's already really sort of got a foothold there in the division. I mean, again, it's early, but they're in a playoff spot. Yeah. You know, <laughs> Um, and yeah, it's coming together. They're getting contributions from all over the place. Martin Jones is back. He's doing his thing. Uh, don't know if he was ever technically there, but now he's back. He's back. Yep. Uh, so the fact that they're getting those sort of next guy steps up contributions because Mm -hmm. they do have some injuries too. Um, I think bodes really well for them. And so, yeah, I would say, sorry, Dave Haxtall, you're doing uh, a bang up job there. I, I don't know how, but it's working. See, I thought that Dave Haxtell was going to be like the weak link of the team. Because I looked at their lineup, I looked at the moves they made in the offseason, I really enjoyed them. Like the Oliver Bjorkstan trade that was, huge. was fantastic. Yeah. Getting Justin Schultz in there as like a, a veteran sort of like pillar of the blue line or support mm-hmm. piece. You know, like, you know, another step forward for Beniers. You still have good players in like Eberly, Schwartz. Like they signed Burakovsky, but also mm-hmm. like Yanni Gord is still there. Totally. Jared McCann is still there. He's the first player to sign a contract extension for them. Um, you know, like Brandon Tanev is going to be healthy and, and he, he, he's very beloved and he adds sort of like a good sort of energy level to the bottom six. For sure. Uh, uh, you know, and, and then I, you're thinking, all right, so maybe, maybe, you can get, uh, uh, maybe you can get Philip Grubauer back and, and, and he's going to be that 5.9 million goal you signed him for and yeah. this and that and the other. Yeah, he's been injured most of the time. And now you have, a, 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 like you said, a Martin Jones and now Magnus Helberg is back. That's right. You know, he was there and now he's back. The um, waiver king. The waiver king. He's, he's this year's Philip Forsberg. You know, like, that, like a couple years ago, Philip Forsberg was waived like four different times. Not he, Philip Forsberg. Or not Philip Forsberg. Uh, 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 Anton Forsberg. There, there you go. go. That makes um, sense. I thought that it was, I thought that Dave Haxall was going to be like the thing that holds them back. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, he's actually, he's really putting that, that team together. And yes. the biggest thing I can say with, with Seattle is that last year, like, if you're going to be an expansion team, like at least, if, at least like 
be exciting. Sure. If you're not going to be good, at least sort of be exciting, bring some cool stuff in here, some different players, make yeah. some trades. They were just sort of very, like I was just so apathetic towards the, the Kraken last right. year. They're just a very dull team, not mm -hmm. much happened. They, they weren't really good at one particular thing. Uh, then they traded all their good players at the deadline and it was just them and like a bunch of second round picks and all that and it was it. This year, like they they have they they have really good depth at all positions. Basically, they yeah. have a you know an all world uh, prospect just waiting in the wings, ready to rock. And they have and another one is is you know in their top six, like yeah. just killing it. This is a very fun team and good for Dave Axel, man. For sure, and yeah, I, I think Matty Beniers is a big part of it because you know last year they just didn't have centers. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you know I, I I still think that you're gonna need to see the ascension of Shane Wright in the next coming years to really fortify that. But right now, you know, Matty Beniers is, is doing that job. Um, and, and it's funny because I've said this before, but I think GM Ron Francis, uh, this past summer, he had the summer we thought he would have the year before. Yeah. Where he stocked up for the draft. I, I thought they drafted really well. Uh, you know, not only obviously Shane Wright fell to them at four, but, you know, Jagger Furcus was yes. a great pickup. Yeah. Um, you know, they got a goalie for the future in Nicholas Coco. Um, you know, uh, Yanni Neiman was a, another, another intriguing player that they drafted. So, and, and they had a bunch of picks, which you always like. Uh, you know, Ty Nelson, another mm -hmm. player, very intriguing. Um, and then they made, and then they took advantage of teams that were in cap crunches to get Oliver Bjorkstrand, yeah. for example. So it was like delayed a year, but now it's happened. And um, I, I thought it would take a little longer, but so far, yeah. One that great. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to offer a very hesitant apology to, okay. like a half apology, because I don't fully believe in him yet, uh -huh. still, but he's got numbers to back it up. It's Peter DeBoer. Oh, yeah. I do not believe in Peter DeBoer as a coach at all. Really? I really, like, I, like, I thought that he took over a very good Vegas team, mm -hmm. and they did nothing but not be good under uh -huh. him, and they did nothing but sort of, like, cause controversy. The sword <laughs> through Marc-Andre Fleury. Right. You know, Robin Leonard getting blasted while playing through you know, like heinous injuries. Yeah. It just seemed like the, the dressing, like I, I didn't believe it. They went over to the Stars and I'm like, well, the Stars have even less talent than, than the, the Golden Knights uh, that he right. just got fired from. And they're already applauding, like a very plodding defensive team, uh, top heavy. And yet here the Stars are, they, their top line is absolutely killing it. Mm -hmm. Sen, uh, uh, ben and Sagan look a bit rejuvenated. Yep. Uh, Ottinger's playing great. Obviously, we talked about Jason Robertson, but, you know, Miro Heiskanen's killing it. I just think that he's done a good job at, at keeping that collection of talent productive. Mm. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm going to offer, I don't think that it's, like, I, I haven't fully believed that it's him yet. Right. But in terms of, if I had to choose one, like, in terms of any sort of, uh, coach that I want to offer an apology to. Because there are a lot that I want to like rescind apologies to yeah. uh, that I think have, have gone maybe into new new places or something, want to you know make it, then made their situations worse. Right. But DeBoer, he's kept it, he's kept it going yeah. in Dallas and done better than I thought he would. So if I can offer a half apology to you, Peter, I hope you accept it. There you go. And you know what I will, I will say? If you talk to folks in the coaching community, mm -hmm. Peter DeBoer is one of the most well-respected really? coaches. Really? I did not yeah. know that. Huge. Like, when he speaks, a lot of other coaches listen. I wonder why. Um, he's just got that sort of gravitas about them. I guess the way he thinks the game. And it's kind of funny just picking up on that um, in terms of, like, it's not a trade per se, but Rick Bonus going from Dallas to Winnipeg and then Peter DeBoer going into Dallas, that worked out for everybody because yeah. Winnipeg's red hot. And uh, Bonus seems to have figured out what they needed to take things to the next level. Because the Jets have really been kind of They've like, been in stasis, basically. Yes, yeah. a perfect term for it. Yeah, and then with Dallas, it's like, okay, well, we know you can lock it down. 
and we know you can grind it out in the playoffs, but can you unlock mm -hmm. some of these guys? And and just as you said, you know, Jamie Ben, I think he had a hat trick last week. Yeah. Uh, and, and Tyler Sagan seemed to be a bit rejuvenated there. Maybe it was just they needed a change in structure, whereas uh, the Jets needed more structure, and that's where Rick Bonus succeeds. So I think Peter DeBoer has sort of loosened the reins in Dallas, and that has been you know a tonic for the Stars. Rick Bonus did the opposite in Winnipeg because that's what the Jets needed, so it's worked out for everybody. What I love about what Rick Bonus has done, I, what I love is that he has cut through all of the crap in mm -hmm. Winnipeg. There was so much like politics, posturing, just like. Uh, to put in a leaf-centric like like view, like there was just so much like blue and white disease there. Uh -huh. It just seemed like you know, it was it was it you know like Blake Wheeler and uh, and Mark Shifley were like the untouchable kings of that locker room, and what they would say goes, even if it wasn't in the best interest of the team. And you couldn't question either of them if they didn't play defense. You know, you had to just let it go. Mm. He went in there and he's like, "You're not the captain anymore." <laughs> I took he, he went there. He took one look at the leadership group. He went, "This isn't working. Clearly, right. you're not the captain anymore. We're going to do a rotating thing of assistance. Uh, you have to play defense. I'm not going to be scared to bench you. Yeah. I'm not going to be scared to call you out. Like like we're this is and he had the respect where he's able to come in there and, and them not be like, who is this guy? Like they were right. able to, to do it and it's working out. Like look, Winnipeg is they're not like they are sort of red hot and you say, but they only have like 19 points on the year. Mm. Like I don't think I think it'll be tight for them to make the playoffs even. Sure, but. Based on where they were trending, yeah, and uh, you know, and I've, I've, you know, a Jets fan who's a very good friend of mine who was on like Suicide Watch most of last year. Basically, like he was really upset with with what they were, and yeah, like they, there's there's something trending in the right direction, and they still yes. have to figure out the Villy Hainola thing. That's something that it seems like you know all these old school coaches just don't like him for some reason. Yeah, but look, there's there's like there's just a calm in Winnipeg now. Yes, there's no much like, better than it was. A hundred percent, and. Yeah. Good for Rick. Like I will offer an apology there, and and even still, like and, and then his assistants have been able to keep up the uh, the slack when he's had to miss a couple of games due to believe dizzy, uh, dizziness spells or, yeah. or vertigo spells. So yeah. good for him. Like good for that. It seems like there's a really good staff there too, mm -hmm. and a good a hallmark of a good coach is hiring a good staff to support him. Very true. You know, a leader. The best thing to do. The best thing you got to do as a leader is delegate. You know that. You're. That's you're right. That, you know. So that there you go. Good for him. All right. The last topic, I guess, before we play, uh, before rapid fire, and we play my favorite game in the world. Ryan gave me a little sneak peek of it. That's right. Is um, Zach Wierenski out for yes. the year, torn labrum. Um, first of all, I think people get people have now underrated Zach Wierenski because yes. people only thought he was a very one-dimensional defenseman. Only he, if you look at his underlying numbers, he's an incredible two-way defenseman, a very, very good player, yeah. a player that you take away from that blue line and it is going to be ravaged um, as it already is. Boquist is out as well. Yes. Columbus is, is just like on a one-way ticket to the deep. Like yeah. after what was supposed to be their season where they take a step forward, they sign Johnny Goudreau, they give Patrick Laine a huge extension. Uh, uh, you know, you're hoping for the bounce back from Elvis Merzlikens. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, they, they, you know, Adam Boquist is hoping to take a step forward. All of their younger guys, you know, they have Kent Johnson, all these guys who are going to come in the lineup. And yet, nothing has really worked. Jack Rosovic is going to be a healthy scratch tonight, that they say, even with all the injuries that they have. Mm -hmm. It is not looking great. So now, it looks like they might be a front runner for Connor Bedard. Yes. Which brings into question, like, and, and I'm, you know, this is one, not, not going to be the first time we have this conversation, seems, but like, mm -hmm. What like what's the best destination for Connor Bedard? I honestly think it is Columbus yeah. at this point. Uh, you know, I mean Arizona would be the other obvious I'm, one I'm because an anyone but Arizona. Don't fair. don't re don't don't leave him there. I'm looking at well, you know, I mean he wears shorts to the rank. He can golf. It's, yeah, it's lovely. Um, we'll never hear from him again. It'll be fine. Because then you go Connor Bedard, Logan Cooley in the future. That's a great one-two punch down the middle. 
Okay. Uh, but Columbus, it works very well for them because if you look at the Blue Jackets right now, if they were all healthy, and I totally agree, it's so funny, like Wierenski, you're right, like he was taking a bunch of flack yeah. last year, and it's like, is this the same Zach Wierenski I remember from the NTDP and from the University of Michigan that was so integral and such a good two-way guy? Like, I, I couldn't see the hate. Yeah. Anyways, Patrick Laine also injured. Yes. Nick Blankenberg's been injured, mm-hmm. you know, that, and that was like a freebie for them because they signed him as a free agent out of Michigan, and he's been nothing but great yeah. for them since. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, they're... Yeah. Things are not going great in Columbus. No, right they're now. just getting killed by injuries, and it's really too bad. But if you look at the, the makeup of the Blue Jackets, you know, Goudreau and Line, I mean, those are your guys on the wings for offense, no question. Zach Wierenski is your number one defenseman. I do agree, you know, Boakvist, um, you know, once he's healthy and, and gets more reps, he's going to be fantastic yes. for them. I was never really sure about the goaltending, uh, but you can find goaltenders in the future if you need to. Uh, and maybe Daniel Tarasov ultimately is the answer yeah, for Yeah, who them, knows? Right? Uh, but you look down the middle, and, you know, they, were, they came into the season with Boone Jenner, uh, with Goudreau and Line A, kind of by default, because, mm-hmm. you know, your other option no was Cole Stillinger, who's still a teenager, yes. amazingly enough. Um, so if I'm looking at a best-case scenario in Columbus, sort of, let's say, two years from now, it's Connor Bedard's your number one center, and then either Cole Stillinger or Boone Jenner is your number two, and the other guy's your number three, or somebody else, because Boone Jenner can play on the wing as well. Uh, I suppose you could put Cole Sillinger on the wing if you wanted as well. But, I mean, Connor Bedard is your number one, you know, goal-scoring, creative mm-hmm. pr- production. You put him with Line A and Goudreau, and it's just going to be bonkers. Mm-hmm. But Sillinger and Jenner would be great in that middle six role because both of them have size. They have a bit of snarl, but they also have talent, and they have a bit of versatility. So I think that would be a great combination. Uh, you know, the other team, we talked about this before we went on, would be Ottawa. Yeah. Where, um, you know, Josh Norris, and, you know, he's hurt right now, uh, but they do have centers, but they also have guys that can play wings. So you look at Tim Stutzla, who's playing center right now, mm-hmm. I still think he's probably better on the wing yeah. in a perfect scenario. And you do have Claude Giroux, who, again, you know, has played center uh, quite a bit in his career, but has also played wing and has had success at both. So you look at if you add Connor Bedard in there, then all this, and then you also have Shane Pinto, mm-hmm. who's been amazing. We talked about him last week. So then you get a scenario where okay, Connor Bedard's obviously your number one. You know, Josh Norris is probably your two, and Stutzla goes to the wing. Uh, you know, maybe Giroux is on the wing on either the first or second line, mm-hmm. and then Shane Pinto becomes kind of an elite third-line center, or again, you put him on the wing. But if you have him as your elite third-line center, because that's a guy that he's athletic, uh, you know, he's a, a strong kid, but he can also score for you. So that's like kind of a great matchup uh, if you're Ottawa, if you're putting him against different combinations, if he's going against other bottom six lines, or if you're matching him against the top line, I think he could have value as well. So you just get so many great options there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, yeah, again, you, if you look at perfect fits, Columbus, certainly. Because you also have Ken Johnson coming up as yep. a winger where you can have talent spread out over those top two lines and, and really become a matchup problem for other teams. Yeah, I, look, I, I, I fully agree. Like, I was talking, and Rachel and I were talking about this on Staff and Graph, where we thought Columbus would be a perfect example. They're middle of the, they're, you know, sort of middle America. 
uh, a team that needs sort of like they, they've just gotten a lot of stars but they need I think one more big name to really put them over the top mm. um, and they're a team that just like they it can work there it like I think it is working but it, it, oh, can, yeah. it can be taken to another level yeah. I think and getting us like a generational star like Bedard that would that would be great I and I also think that like in a perfect world I think Gary Batman wants Connor Bedard in the American market you know, he would want them because, well, Columbus is not, like, it's not a small market, mm -hmm. like, but it's not a big market, obviously. And I yeah. think Bedard, It's an Ohio State town. Exactly. And I yeah. think Bedard would take that from sort of like that mid-market into a bigger sort of, like, like it, it's, it's a ridiculous comparison here, but, like, he could maybe do what, like, a LeBron James kind of did uh, to, you know what, to a But I was thinking the same Cavaliers. thing. Yeah, like, exactly. It, it maybe not, obviously, on the same level because LeBron is, like, arguably the best basketball player of all time. Yeah. But, like, Bedard can take that take that market and elevate it. Kind of like what Crosby did with Pittsburgh. Like, he, totally. it already was a great market. Yeah. But it was on. It was, it was really in a bad place before he got there. Yeah. And then he took it and elevated it into, like, one of the best markets in the league now. In both Pittsburgh and Columbus, you have fan bases that will turn out yes. and, and want to support the team but eventually need to see results. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so now look, now now we're going to look at a Columbus team that could potentially sell a lot towards the end of the year. Uh, we're going to see likely David Gierczyk play yeah. a lot more games, see, yeah. really see what he's what he's, you know, got in store. Indeed. It it will be it will be fascinating to watch them, maybe not from a perspective of like, oh, they they're, they're going to be the the potential playoff contender that we were thinking of them yeah. no. to be, but it, the, like based on the assets they have uh, the draft capital they could bring in, and also the fact that like they have a, they have potentially a franchise defenseman waiting in the wings who will now be given a, a you know just sort of free reign to go and potentially play in yeah. the top four role for the rest of the season. Yeah, let's see what happens. We're gonna see what Emil Benstrom's got. Oh yeah, <laughs> let's do it. All right, topics are over. We don't have yes. any mailbag questions this week because we wanted to give enough time to Ryan's favorite game yes. in, in rapid fire for me. Yes, take it away, Ryan. All right, do you want to you want to start off? With that, or should we save it for last? Oh, we'll save it for last. Okay, let's, okay. Let's, let's do it. We'll keep the drama going. Okay, yeah. so number one podcast question. Mm -hmm. Since I saw it last week, and I know you probably saw it in theaters multiple times, how'd you feel about Don't Worry, Darling? I actually haven't seen it. Really? No, I know. I know, I know Incredible. Your girl. I know the Florence Pugh is my wife. Yeah. Um, and, but I, I just, I haven't been able to see it yet, wow. uh, mainly because I know that she's great in it, but I've... I've heard a lot of like sort of middling things on there, mm -hmm. and I don't know. I just I, I've I've had a really difficult time sort of like uh, thinking that the movie will be more interesting than the drama that surrounded it. Fair. And I feel like I just got like my fill for that, but I am gonna right. I am going to watch it. All right. Um, and now like now that it is on streaming, yes. Because I was like, you know what? I don't want to pay to like go to a theater. I don't want I don't want to take that like that time. Risk. Yeah, yeah, just because, like, I don't want to go and see, like, a 37% movie on Rotten Tomatoes, mm -hmm. you know, like, in, in theaters like that, um, no matter how much I love Florence Pugh. Yeah. Uh, but I've heard nothing but great things about her in, in that movie. Yeah. She I won't is... I won't spoil it, obviously. I'll give it a 7.5 out of really? 10. Really? Okay. It's like, it, it, you know, it's, it's, it's good enough. Yeah. Um, I knew all the back stuff. My wife did not know all the controversy. Oh, really? But, and so when she watched it, she was like, that was pretty good. And uh, she's walked it, back, walked it back a little bit. But I would say it's, it's still it's good enough. I feel like, again, I haven't seen the movie, but based on yeah. the cast, based on, and based on the, the talent involved, like Olivia Wilde, because mm -hmm. have you seen Booksmart that she did? Oh, yeah. Booksmart's fantastic. And, and like, it should have been so much better than it was. Like, this should be an Oscar contender. Mm. You have like this generation's Meryl Streep as your lead. You know, even though Harry Styles apparently is a bit of a weak link in the movie. No, actually, he's is he fine? Decent. Okay, yeah, he's but like fine. Chris Pine is good in everything. Yeah, you know, even you, you got like Nick Kroll in like supporting role, like yeah. you know stuff like that. It should be it should have been so much better than people are saying it is. Uh -huh. Like you shouldn't you shouldn't have to talk in a high voice when you describe it to me. 
You have to go right. like, oh, it's fine. You know, it's like right. it should be like, oh, that was that was good. Yeah, you know? yeah. yeah. No, I think that uh, I think it's fair. I will. Uh, I will see it, and I will report back next podcast. Yeah. Sidebar question: uh, Do you think she'd be as famous if she pronounced her name Florence Pug? I don't know. Mm. Or maybe you know, maybe due, due to the memes, maybe she maybe it would be maybe she would be even more popular. Possibly. Yeah. And if she had a dog, would she name it Florence Pug? Would that be would that be a little too self-serving? I don't know. Naming your own dog after yourself? It might be a little like I don't know, it'd be kind of funny. It would be funny, but also like like what like, oh hey Florence, what's your like you got a cool dog. What's your dog's name? Oh, Florence Pug. Pug. Oh, so you named your dog after yourself. Yeah. That's that seems a little that seems a little weird. Maybe. Yeah. Fair enough. Okay. My, Next my, question. My wife is too humble to do that. That's fair. That's yeah. fair. Okay. Hall of Fame weekend. We just yep. got uh, through that, uh, and it was lovely. Who has still been snubbed by the Hall of Fame? Alexander McGillney. Without like like, th- there's no question. Yeah. He should be like, he should be in there right now, and yep. he should have been in there this year. And he should definitely be in there next year. Mm-hmm. Like McGillney should have been a borderline hall, like first ballot guy. And if you look at the people who are up for next year, yeah, I mean, like obviously Lundquist is going to get in. Yeah, uh, 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 I, I think Seabrook has a good chance of, of getting in. Like maybe not first ballot, but second, like because he's yeah. he's eligible now just based on the fact that he was one of the best, or if not the best, defensive defenseman of his era mm-hmm. and won all those cups. Yeah. Uh, Justin Williams is up in in the next uh, in the next slot, but I think mm-hmm. even he might have to take a. Might is not a, like a first ballot guy. Yeah, because he was never like he never won a major award for himself. Yeah. He might be Hall of Very Good. Yes, exactly. Yeah. But Alex McGillney, like this is a trailblazer. Like he was totally. like he he his he had to escape like Russia he and literally like, defected the dead of night. Like <laughs> yeah. he he risked his life, his family's yeah. life, his career, everything yeah. to come to North America, and then he comes in and he does nothing but rack up just absolutely torrid production. Yeah. He he's like. He should he should be in the hall, no question. The fact that it's taking this long, yeah. they had these weird vendettas. Like it was like Pat Burns, where like they they decided not to put Pat Burns in, in the hall until after he passed. Yeah, and for so many like the guy won three Jack Adams. Like he like he you know he's he's a remarkable coach. For some reason, the hall has these. I'm not sure if they're vendettas. I'm not sure if they're blind spots. Yeah. but for some reason, they just snub these very obvious choices. It's one every couple years. Yeah. And I don't get it. Alex McGillney should be in there right now. And if he's not next year, it's a travesty. The fact that Gary Bettman's in the hall and not and not Alexander McGillney, mm. I think is 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 annoying to me because right. I think that well, because Bettman's still working. Exactly. And the fact that McGillney, like all that he did, it's not even just that he was an incredible hockey player when he was here. Mm. It's that like it, it, it's that him defecting, like him leaving in the dead of night, like stowing yeah. away on a ship basically just to get over here. It, it paved the way. Like we talk, and we, we were talking a lot about Boris Salming this weekend because he was getting honored, yeah. and how his uh, like him coming into the league at, at a time when you know it was all North American players. He mm. paved the way for Swedish for Swedish players to play in the league. Yeah. That's why Sheldon Keefe started a, an all Swedish starting lineup because he said pretty much all these guys wouldn't be here for not for Boris. Um, and McGillney did a lot of the same things with Russian players. Totally and the fact that he's not in the hall is absurd. The correct answer is Alex McGillian. There you go. So there you go. Okay, next question. Uh, who does pop culture okay. deserve an apology from? And what I mean by that is an artist, whether it's music, movie, whoever, who are we too hard on when they were around? Oh, like who do we who should we apologize to? Exactly. Okay. I thought you were saying like who does who owes us an apology? Oh no, that, that list is um, too long. Oh man, that's you know what? That's a really good question. I mean, the obvious answer was Britney Spears for a while, like mm-hmm. because you know. But I think I think we've all given that apology to her now. Like, right. man, um, 
Holy smokes. This is a, this is a really good question. Um, oh, man. No, this is, I, like, I, I feel like there's a really good answer to this, and I'm trying to, right. trying to think. It, it, it'll definitely be a pop star of some sort because we just treat them terribly. Right. Um, I mean, like, I would, I would say Janet Jackson, maybe. Just, oh, like, that's due, a good like, one. Due to what happened sure. at the... The fact that like Justin Timberlake was the one that caused that wardrobe malfunction, yet yeah. she was like blasted for it. It's a good one. Um, I would say, uh, man, like that. I think that would be a good one. Maybe Miley Cyrus. Okay. Or no, I mean Selena Gomez. I got uh, go okay. With that. I mean, her documentary. She has this documentary that that came out. Um, I haven't seen it yet, but like basically it delves into just just the horrendous treatment that the media did to her. Like mm. the fact that you know like. You know, she was dating Justin Bieber and then it broke up and yet still people are like asking her about it. Like this is something like it's and just even like she's gone through a ton of medical like she she had to get a kidney transplant. She has um, uh, I believe she has Lyme disease um, mm-hmm. and she has uh, I think lupus, I think as well. And so all of that has uh, has caused her to sort of like, uh, you know, her body to go through you know different transformations mm-hmm. and stuff. Um, and, and the media would come down on her like crazy. And, you know, when she was 15 uh, and like going to the beach with her friends, like ma- adult male photographers would be following after her with cameras and stuff. And mm. just like, just, you know, like when you're in that awkward stage, like yeah. everyone looks at you the wrong way and you want to like crawl into a hole. And the fact that she had like, you know, magazine covers and talk show hosts just like dissecting her body and her looks mm. and that, I just think it was terrible and it was it was just, yeah, so I think that she deserves, I think she's getting an apology now, but I think yeah. she deserves a big apology from us because, like, everyone was just so needlessly hard. And she's just, like, she just seems like a cool person. She just likes, yeah. she likes to cook. She has her own cooking show. Like, she just chills. She's a good actress, a good singer. Like, people were just way too hard on her. Fair. Yeah. All right. Mine's less serious. Okay. Uh, Stone Temple Pilots. Okay. As a, I was a 14-year-old slash 15-year-old when they came out, and, uh, you know, on behalf of all the 14-year-olds in North America, I would like to apologize. We were way too hard on them just because they were from San Diego and mm-hmm. not Seattle. Okay. And everybody called them posers. Um, it's like, you guys can't be grunge, you're not from Seattle. But, like, they really stood the test of time. Like, Interstate Love Song, when that comes on the radio, I'm like, yeah, that's a great track. And, like, the, the one from the Crow soundtrack, I can't remember the name of it now. It's, like, Big Heavy or something like that. It's like, a lot of their... A lot of their songs really stood up. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, we were merciless. Not that they ever cared. I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm sure they got the question a lot of times when they were on, like, MTV and Much Music or whatever. But, uh, yeah, whatever, man. They're from San Diego. They can't help that. But uh, in the end, I think they they did quite well. So there you okay. go. Sorry, Stone Temple Pilots. In you, terms of you a were better than we, uh, than, we, than we let on. Quickly, in terms of a band, Nickelback, obviously. No. Like, no. I, they deserve no. They okay, but they Sympathy. didn't. They didn't deserve to be like the like synonymous with bad music. Sure they did. They they're like some of their songs are. are I, I don't think that they make great music. Let's not be. Yeah. But like, you, if you're at a sporting event and they put on like "Burn It to the Ground," uh-huh. or they put on uh, like even their cover of of Saturday Night uh, mm-hmm. by by Elton John, like that that gets me going, you know. And I think that that's important. All their songs sound the same, yes. Yeah. But I think that they they fit a certain venue. Uh, of of life, what be that like UFC fights or uh, you know like mosh pits or something right. like that, which I think is fine, and I don't think that they deserve to be synonymous with like mm. bad music. You know, I think that we, I think that there are far worse bands out there. My problem is that they're they're derivative. Like they go back in that like the way that it's sort of 
all shook out going back to grunge is mm -hmm. you had the bands like Nirvana and Soundgarden and Pearl Jam, and then you had the echoes of those bands. Yes. And then eventually you got to Silverchair, and then after that you had like Seven Mary Three and even worse bands, and then you had Nickelback. Okay, okay. All doing the same playbook, so that's my grade. Okay, that makes sense. That but makes sense. Let's both come together mm -hmm. for the classic rapid fire game. Was he a ranger? Yes. A game we used to play years ago uh, under the sort of, uh, you know, topic of, you know, especially back in the 1990s when the New York Rangers, uh, you know, they won a Stanley Cup. They were also very competitive other years. Glenn Sather was their GM. He had been GM, of course, of the Firewagon Edmonton Oilers mm -hmm. when they were winning cups. So there was a lot of trades being made at the time. It has sort of continued on. So when we think back to that era, there are a lot of players where we say, was he a Ranger? Even if it was for only a season or two. So we're bringing it back. I know you're a youngin', so there's a bit of a, I'm ready to rock, a man. trial I'm there. I'm excited. All right, so we are going to start off with a classic mm -hmm. 80s, 90s goaltender. Bill Ranford played for the Oilers, played for the Bruins, but was he a Ranger? I'm going to, you know what, he seems like the kind of guy who they would sign for like one year at the end of his career. I'm going to say yes. Bill Ranford, not a Ranger. Oh, no. No, okay, okay. all right. Oh, okay. Next one. All right, let's go. Okay. Marty McSorley, often associated with Wayne Gretzky, played for the Kings, played for the Oilers. Did he, was he a Ranger? Yes. Marty McSorley was a Ranger yes. for nine games. Wow. That's it? It's it's I'm I'm look I'm pretty amazing because I had hockey cards all back in the day yeah. from this era and you know just I don't have a photographic memory but I do have sort of associations and I'm just racking my brain like can I picture Marty McSorley in a Rangers uniform in that old helmet can yes. it be blue I did yeah so and that is the crux of this game exactly can you picture well, it it's can more you picture it it's more spiritual exactly it's like yeah there's some that like there's some really deep cuts that I do know but yeah. mainly it's like can I picture this person in like red and blue or exactly. blue and red like it yeah okay yes okay. He is now the GM of the Anaheim Ducks. He's known mm -hmm. for the Hartford Whalers and New Jersey Devils. But Pat Verbeek, was he a Ranger? Yes. Yes, he was. Yes, he was yeah. a Ranger. Yeah. yeah. Two seasons, season and a half. I can't, I, I can't remember. I think I had a Ranger hockey card of Pat Verbeek. As, you know, so. There you go. Interesting. All yes. right. Speaking of Hall of Famers, mm -hmm. Larry Murphy, the defenseman. Obviously, he played in Toronto. Obviously, he played in Detroit. Uh, obviously, he played in Pittsburgh. Mm -hmm. Was he a Ranger? Obviously, he was a Capital too. Oh, Larry Murphy got around. He had a See, long career. See, I feel like uh, I might have to go against my gut on this one. I don't think he was a Ranger. Larry Murphy, not a Ranger. Well played. Well yes. Done. Okay. And the final one, a, okay. call, a callback okay. to last year's rapid fire. Here we go. Here we sorry, go. last week's rapid fire. Ole Okunin, was he oh, a yeah, Ranger? He was a Ranger. Yeah. yeah. You say that with such conviction. I because I know he was. For twenty six games, yeah. Oliokin was a Ranger. He was he was well a done. big he was a big deadline pickup for them. There you go. I remember that. Yeah. I believe he came over from uh like I believe that was because he was with Florida forever. Yep. And I believe that was like like the Rangers were the team that picked him up at the deadline. Like mm. the, they were the Islanders to his Ryan Smith, you know? Right, like, right, right. And uh, I, I believe he it was like remember when Eric Stahl was a Ranger? for a little bit, like for that half yes. season. It was like that. Like the Rangers right. are big on getting these guys who've been with these teams forever. Marty St. Louis, another one. 
at the deadline. Wow, like they yeah. keep doing this, right? And, yeah. and Ole Jokinen was another one of those players where they're like, he's, he's a legend in this one franchise. He's still a good player, but he's getting older. All right, let's yeah. pick him up the deadline for a run. There you go. Well yeah. done. You comported yourself quite well. I think I, what, 80%? Yeah. Like something like that. Yeah, so not bad. Not bad. Excellent. Well Better done. than anything I got in school. I'll there tell you, you that. So there we go. Um, well, that brings us to the end of the show. Another great episode, I think, that, that we had with each other. Mm-hmm. Very interesting to see uh, uh, kind of what goes on forward. And obviously, you know, choose BetMGM for your betting needs. The Hockey News dot com for your lovely hockey content that are produced by me ryan and our lovely staff we'll see you next week